Patty Brown-Varnier is HEC's MBA Senior Executive Director of Academic Affairs and Program Delivery. She's an innovator who's disrupting the role of education for modern businesses and business people. In this episode of Tech Powered Luxury, we discuss the role of HEC in the luxury and tech industries in France and around the globe. Tech Powered Luxury is proud to be sponsored by Seabody, an Irish-based tech-powered beauty and wellness brand. Seabody has developed a unique next-gen approach to seaweed-based skincare and supplements. Luxury powered by technology with innovation at its core is exactly what this podcast is about. Find Seabody on Instagram or at seabody.com to discover their innovative products. Hello and welcome to Tech Powered Luxury, your weekly podcast dedicated to the intersection of the luxury and technology industries. The goal of each of these episodes is to bring international and actionable insights to people passionate about the luxury and tech industries. Paddy, I am so happy to have you on the podcast today. We have gone full circle from a connection on LinkedIn a couple of years ago to actually launching Tech Powered Luxury first and foremost on campus at HEC Paris. So to have you here today is absolutely wonderful. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for inviting me. It's pretty cool to talk to you today. I mean, we've been through a long, long journey together and it's not, it's not over yet. So I'm excited about the future. Absolutely. It's just the beginning. So to kick off our session today, Patty, I would like to ask you, who are you and what led you to where you are today? Oh my goodness. It's like a, lay down on the couch and tell me about your childhood. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> so my name is Patty. I'm currently uh, executive director for MBA programs uh, at HEC, which means I get to work with close to a thousand students every year who are trying to better themselves and a team of 35 people and hundreds of professionals like you that come in and get to work with my students and my staff on programs. What led me here today, I was never supposed to work in education. I had my own company working in G1 visas. Uh, for 19 years. I was an exchange student in France and started working quickly afterwards. But then the Trump administration uh, put a stop to visas to the United States. So I figured I needed to transition. And since I'd been working with business schools, it was an obvious transition uh, that happened. So then I started working at another business school and I've been at HEC now for almost two years. Fantastic. For anyone who's listening who doesn't know what the J-1 visa is, basically everybody in Ireland knows what it is. I think when you're when you're born in Ireland, they tell you one day you're going to go to America and do a J-1. It's true. <laughs> um, the dream is over for a lot of us now, but um, great memories of all the stories that my friends came back with. I was actually born in the US, so I did not need to get a J-1 visa. Um, oh, fantastic. But I didn't know what that. an Interesting pivot to then go into education makes total sense. For people listening who aren't familiar with HEC or HEC, as they call it in France, could you give us a little intro to what this institution is? HEC is the number one business school in Europe for its business in general. So we have the uh, what we call the Grand Decode program, master's programs, and then the MBA flagship programs here. So executive MBA, full-time MBA. And then we also have a partnership called the Trium, which is with the London School of Economics, NYU, and HEC. Um, So HEC is primarily a business school. We call it HEC Paris, but warning to everybody, we are not in Paris. We are about 45 minutes outside of Paris in Versailles, (laughs) uh, in the middle of of Cowtown. So uh, don't let them tell you it's HEC Paris. They sold me on that too, and it takes me about an hour to get to work every morning. So, um, But it is a business school. Uh, We have uh, most of our students that live on campus. 
Uh, so campus is very vibrant with about 6,000 students on campus every day. Um, I completely agree on the HEC Paris versus HEC maybe Ile-de-France. Yeah. <laughs> Not even we're in Versailles. <laughs> uh, yeah, there you go. But I, I also fell for that when I studied there myself in 2015. However, I did live on campus and I think I saw sheep almost every day. So honestly, it was a really nice experience um, yeah. in terms of actually kind of being outside of Paris, but having a really strong community, seeing the same people every day. I made such strong connections. My best friends today that I work with and travel with and live my life with are my friends from my time at Ashesay, actually. Fantastic. So. You, you got together in survival mode because the weekends there's no food on campus. So it's like, you know, you go into the woods and hunt. So I get it. <laughs> exactly. And you attempt to get to and from Paris uh, <laughs> without paying for a taxi as well. So navigating oh, the public transport was all part of the journey. <laughs> oh, goodness. But if we go back to your own educational journey, Patty, mm-hmm. I would love to know. And I ask everybody that because especially when it comes to luxury and technology, there's no one given path. There's many ways to getting to where you are. And you actually work at the crossroads of both today. And a lot of the students that go through HEC, they go on to be leaders of the biggest tech and luxury companies. So if you could tell us, how did you get here? Well, um, I was born. No, I won't bore you with the rest. But um, <laughs> so I did uh, half of my studies in the United States at University of Oregon. Go Ducks. And then uh, half of my studies in Poitiers, which is a small cow town. I'm a thing with nature, uh, about an hour and a half south uh, from Paris. And I, and I started working immediately uh, afterwards. Um, I'm a first-generation uh, person to go to college. Nobody in my family had gone before. Um, so in terms of luxury, when you're in France, you kind of fall into it. It's everywhere, everywhere. Exactly. And when I was in the J1 visa market, our clients, in terms of companies, fell into two categories, hospitality and luxury. So we were working with the biggest fashion houses that you can imagine in the United States and hospitality. So already we had those contacts with all of the companies, LVMH, Chanel, Richemont, sending uh, hundreds of thousands of interns to the United States every year. Uh, so that was a big part of the business. When that shut down, I started transver- trans- transitioning sorry, into education, and I was hired to run the MBA in luxury brand management at ESSEC, which is the oldest MBA in luxury brand management in Europe. I think it's celebrating its 27th year, if I'm not mistaken, this year. And it was created by LVMH in the hopes to train the future leaders of tomorrow in luxury. Um, so that's really where I started working in luxury, getting those contacts and working with industry people and professors alike. Amazing. Um, and congrats on being the the first in your family to start an <laughs> educational journey. And why not go to the very top and then <laughs> join HEC <laughs> and lead all their executive and MBA programs? What an incredible achievement. Um, and it shows actually how education really does democratize and you know, give us access to things that otherwise wouldn't be possible and across continents as well. It's a game changer. It opens doors. Uh, even had I stayed in the United States and gone to university, it would have opened doors. But coming to Europe on an exchange program was absolutely huge for me. And the proof is that 25 years later, uh, I'm still in France. I love it. Um, Patty, if you could give us some insight into what role HEC has specifically within both the luxury and tech worlds, it'd be really interesting to get your perspective on that and see how you're not only feeding the ecosystem, but you're also replenishing it through the executive programs. Yeah, through executive programs, it's quite interesting because not only do you have the professor side, so HEC is known as a research school. Um, so our professors, they they teach, but that's only maybe a third of their time. The rest of their time is really dedicated to research, whether that be consumer insights, heritage, and luxury brands. So we do have this specialty in luxury. 
um, on the executive MBA, you still have a specialty in luxury that is well. So you have world-class professors that are teaching this, bringing in industry. Uh, you've seen it when you're on campus. Every week, there's somebody from either LVMH, from Cartier, from, from Richemont, from Chanel, who's here because they need to know what's going on for the future leaders. They want to share their customer insights. And then they're also trying to get information on research from our professors. So, And, and the same goes for tech as well. Tech is really not only partnerships with companies, the classics, the Googles, the Amazons and that, but also with educational institutions uh, across the world pushing the limits in tech and in AI. We're, we're starting for our full-time MBA, a new specialization in, in data and AI for, for managers uh, that will be starting next year. So that partnership of partnering industry leaders, participants with experience in both luxury and tech and professors is, is the, the winning trifecta. You've got it from all angles in reality. Um, I'm, it, it reminded me of probably one of my favorite moments when I was at Dior was actually when I went back to the HEC campus. And it was for a series that was run at the time where CEOs that had attended HEC were brought back to campus and they were hosted in the big auditorium and it was like a fireside chat kind of format. Yeah. So Claude Martinez, who was the CEO of Dior at the time and an alumni of mm-hmm. HEC, came back and they brought, uh, I think, 20 of us from Dior who were also part of the, um, the HEC cohorts of the past to the campus and we were there to support and also I learned so much as well and it was so interesting to see how HEC really incubates these incredible leaders that are at the helm of the luxury industry today in particular, because I guess that's what France has been known for for so many decades. But now we're starting to see it as well with technology. It's continuing um, and it's continuing to a point where, to your point of tech, is that we've always had um, a headquarters out at Station F. And now that Station F was tech, but now, as you know, LVMH is, is out there at yes, Station F. So intertwined. It, everything's becoming to whereas heritage brands. When I first started working at, at ESSEC on the MBA in luxury brand management, I remember telling the people that were running the program, we need to train these students in Tableau. We need to train them in data analysis. We need to train them. They said, no, no, no. They just need a passion for fashion. <laughs> and, and I just looked at them and I said, I okay, it. well, 1982 is past and the students, and I said, you need to start thinking about training these people to work in consulting firms mm. uh, and then head into luxury brands once they've got the high salary, because if they start for a luxury brand now, they'll have a low salary and that's never going to work for anybody. Yeah. And lo and behold, two years later, when you look at the students who actually followed Tableau, followed data analysis, followed working in consulting firms. Now they're the people that are really making a difference in upper management in the luxury world today, because the luxury world is is passion for fashion on Instagram, but somebody's <laughs> got to put all those Instagram videos together. That is so funny. I do think that the passion for fashion or whatever segment of luxury that you're in is really important because the luxury industry, like you don't just work in it, you become it, you yeah. live and breathe it. And because it's so desirable, if that's not you, somebody else will come along and that will be them. And they're going to give it more than the person who doesn't have, you know, the passion. However, it needs to be matched with hard skills. No, you know, you're working in data and everything. You still have to have passion for heritage, for craftsmanship. You have to know when you're counting numbers that give you an example of Chanel. Chanel during COVID uh, kept a lot of its companies alive in Italy that were doing small leather goods. They weren't because they, and they were losing millions and millions in hand over fist because they wanted to keep those industries alive mm-hmm. because that craftsmanship had the company shut down, they would have never gotten it back. 
so that's a passion for fashion against the numbers, but they were they were weighing the numbers and made that decision and decided to stay with craftsmanship and heritage. Absolutely. And with luxury, it's all about that long term vision. And yeah. I mean, it wasn't so long term in the end, because three years later, Chanel is actually the most pinned brand on Pinterest. No way. I learned this the other week with Jessica Chaplow, who came on to talk about the role of AI in luxury. And believe it or not, Chanel does not even have an account on Pinterest. Like the demand for the brand and how obsessed the brand fans are with their bags, it's way beyond what they can actually supply. Mm -hmm. And imagine if they had shut down, you know, those operations uh, during the pandemic, they would be even further behind and actually just having even further losses on uh, the opportunity costs. So yeah, it's uh, bringing the data analysis, but having that very soft approach as well is, is key. You wonder if it's a choice because I remember I was in Hong Kong uh, with, with SKMB at that time and talking to um, one of the heads of, of Louis Vuitton and saying, you know, we flood the market with bags. We want everybody to have a bag. And, and, and it said, where's the luxury in that? Where's the rarity? Mm. So is it true that Chanel's understood what luxury is and what a rarity is by not creating a thousand of those little black bags? Is that the, the, the strategy behind it? I mean, only they know. Yes, maybe they'll come on and tell us their secret. Maybe not. <laughs> Anyone from Chanel listening, tell us. <laughs> I don't think they're allowed to do that. We'll have to catch the two brothers that are owners on a night after a couple glasses of wine and get yeah. them. To... <laughs> I think maybe you'll find out and tell us. <laughs> Funny things happen to me. You never know. That could possibly happen. Tech Powered Luxury sponsor Seabody uses state-of-the-art blue biotechnologies and marine biodiscovery. Seabody includes the most potent and closest to nature molecules in their ranges of skincare and supplements. You can discover more about Seabody on Instagram or at seabody.com. If we take it back to very concretely why someone would go to say and do a master's or do an MBA, it's a question I get all the time from people who want to pivot either into France or into luxury or into a luxury role within tech, for example. They say, do I really need to go and do a master's or an MBA to make this change? And how will that help me? And I always say yes, because that's what I did. Yeah. That was the path for me and it worked. And it was, you know, something that I, I didn't need to reinvent the wheel and I loved the experience. But for people that I couldn't convince with just that, it's so much fun, go do it and it's going to work. What would you say, uh, you know, what are those reasons and how can they ensure that they can use the Ashose platform in particular to reach their career goals? Well, I think education is always a good idea uh, at whatever age you are. I'm following a certificate program online right now, and it, it's always a good idea. And education opens up opportunities and mindsets for you that you would never have, even online. Uh, I mean, I'm following on online because it's a school in the United States. If I could be there for eight weeks, I would. But if you do have the luxury of taking time off and thinking of yourself and making that investment in yourself, it's worth three times what you're going to spend on it because you're going to have, it changes your mindset. You get access to professors that will listen to you. Uh, you'll say, I'm interested in X. And they say, well, I know this person. I'm going to connect you with this person. It's a huge networking opportunity. You have to make the most of it afterwards, but not only with professors, but within your own cohort, you're going to have sitting next to you some pretty powerful folks on that EMBA. You've got the C-suites there and people that are there to help you pivot in the next direction, or even just be reassured with your current position and take that to the next step if you don't want to leave your current company. So it gives you the tools, it gives you the mindset, but also it gives you a moment for yourself. And that's the most fantastic thing is coming onto campus and, and we're, we're hit from all ends. 
if you think about it in my day, I'm hit by Teams, I'm hit by WhatsApp, I'm hit by the phone, I'm hit by emails, I'm hit by Insta, Instagram, I have 10 followers, uh, and I'm hit by LinkedIn every day. <laughs> this be 10 very engaged exactly. followers. Exactly. <laughs> um, and so we're hit from all the ends. It, the, the amazing thing about when you're sitting in a classroom for a minute, you kind of put all that on pause. It's white noise, and you're really concentrating on learning something that you have chosen to learn. And that's the greatest gift you can give yourself. Well, from now on, when somebody says, should I do a master's or an MBA? I'm just going to send them this podcast episode. <laughs> <laughs> with the ex- specific time frame of that answer, because that was fantastic, Patty. And actually, what you've said about being in the mindset, that's key. I just wrapped up last week uh, my course yes. at HEC. Huge success. So powered luxury. Huge success. <laughs> And it was incredible to have it, you know, back on campus again, second semester uh, of the course being delivered in person because during the pandemic I had many online classes, but it's, it's very special to be in the room with these people. And I was so in awe of how the people in my class not only absorbed information so fast, but then immediately were able to apply it to different case studies and challenges. These were people that for the most part had never worked in luxury or in tech. And we discussed it and it was down to everyone having this open mindset they were there to learn and because everyone's brains were on high alert for okay what information I, am I getting how can I apply it we achieved things that maybe would have taken me more than one year to achieve in a normal work environment because everyone was just fit to learn and they wanted to absorb this info wanted to actually apply it to something very fast and um, like you said it's because everything else outside of that is white noise you're there to learn and people really do make the most of that no and you had a particular one thing we've done at HEC in innovation this year is these intensive courses what we call crash courses I need someone in marketing to come up with a better idea because it sounds like a car accident but they're 18 hours over 2.5 yep. days during vacation periods and we open these up for those people that don't know to full-time MBAs and to EMBAs. And the idea behind these was I had a lot of MBAs during vacation periods who didn't have money to travel. They wanted to learn new topics and they wanted it to be taught by a diverse cohort, meaning women and people of color. Um, and so that's what we put together. And you're an integral part of this because we called you back. Your course was so popular. So in that classroom, you have full-time MBAs and executive MBAs learning together and that's a very, I'm not sure of any other school that has these unique learning moments. And the sharing that goes on is absolutely fantastic. I mean, I hear echoes from this. It's just people, the evaluations are through the roof. And so thank you for being a part of that. Thank you for like making us look good. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you for having me. I, I'm forced to learn a lot as well when I go and teach because I want to bring the newest topics. I want to have the, you know, the newest examples of what's happening in the industry. So actually it's a fantastic way for me to keep learning as well. And as all of my students know, I use Tech Powered Luxury, obviously as its podcast format to educate anyone who wants the information for free globally. And then when I'm doing the in-person courses, I always bring one established luxury brand in. So they'll do a group challenge and everyone always gets amazing prizes. And I'll bring one startup as well. Oh, wow. So it could be a tech startup. Yeah. It could be a luxury brand. So um, Seabody, uh, our, our sponsor, they came in for our first crash course and brought a brand that's created with biodiversity and Just. technology from a science point of view. So really, really different kind of topics. And then this time around, it was, um, we actually had Paco Rabanne and we had exclusives. We're into Web3. We just keep learning. <laughs> so everyone who joins this course gets something different every time, actually. It's really cool. I, I mean, next time, I was in Qatar when you were teaching last time. Next time, I would definitely be 
student in the front row taking notes because uh, I want a good grade from teacher. But the, the things that you're mixing in there, it's always been, I remember when we first started talking about your course, at that time, it was it was very cutting edge and, and people were still in to know it's, it's not looking at heritage and history. And it's, yes, it is. And it's taking it to the next step of what is the future of heritage and mm. what is the future of luxury? So congratulations. Once again, cutting edge. <laughs> Thank you. Um, Paddy, you had actually sent me a newsletter during the week that kind of touched on this, but I wanted to ask you, how do you see culture and especially entertainment yeah. impacting the future of luxury? Well, it's all about experiences. That's going to be the future. I mean, every luxury brand, we were speaking about this earlier, is trying to pull in influencers and create that unique experience for its buyers. Uh, every luxury brand has their departments that deal with uh, ultra high-end buyers or what do they call it? Very important clients, VICs uh, now. So I think, and even for the regular customer, it's all about the experience. And I think Web3 is an interesting thing because it does bring mm-hmm. some small parts of the luxury experience to the average Joe, uh, meaning you can try on a, a Cartier nail bracelet uh, right on using your phone right now. Um, you can try on all sorts of things. You can have your your virtual version of that if you can't afford the real one. So it's quite interesting. Yes. And I'm just wondering if it's kind of like that gateway buyer situation where brands that get into allowing the larger public to have a virtual access to their products, is it going to make their real product more desirable afterwards? Yeah. yeah. So we'll see how that pans out. We had an interesting course in virtual reality with Lablaco. Um, on Web3, the metaverse and, and future brands. And that that course wasn't virtual reality. It's quite interesting to do that because when you're in virtual reality, the whole argument is that it's it's curbing the appetite for consumption because you have the impression that when you've gone into VR and you've worn the bracelet or you held the bag, that, that you've consumed mm-hmm. and you don't want it. I'm not sure sure that that's true. Uh, time will tell, but it's definitely an interesting concept. And it'll be interesting to see where brands go with this in the future. What I see as a big challenge within luxury brands today is if you don't have that knowledge in-house, that tech knowledge, really people who have said, yeah, this is how it works. This is how it functions. Instead, it's, you just have this echo chamber of, could we try that? Oh, maybe it doesn't work. Like you said there, people think, oh, maybe you get the satisfaction just with the AR or VR and you don't want to actually buy the product. And that's why it's really important for internally companies to keep re-educating their employees, especially yeah. on these tech topics, whether it's you know, taking the time out to do an MBA, executive MBA, or it's doing, I know that you have summer courses as well. At yeah. HEC, you have the chairs, yeah. all of these different concepts. Actually, it's so important to be a, a lifelong learner when you're in industry today, especially because of the speed of technology. Yeah. Um, I also wanted to ask you, um, at this is still on the kind of the point of culture and entertainment, but what are your thoughts on Pharrell Williams, his recent appointment to Louis Vuitton? <laughs> I'm glad I didn't make that decision. <laughs> it's it's an interesting one you know I, I i'm up for giving people a chance and an opportunity but i just hope that they they've given him what they call in friendship period to say a trial period uh let him run one collection i think is in june and then see what happens i don't know i feel it's kind of like a guest host while they're waiting for somebody else to come on it's it wouldn't have been i don't work in fashion thank god but that definitely must have been an interesting conversation around the in the boardroom that day because it's it's I I don't know I guess I would throw the question back at you and be like my god what were they thinking (laughs) (laughs) well you know what 
the noise and the buzz and all of the positivity that has come out around this leads me to believe that because people are so into the brand of Louis Vuitton, but also Pharrell has a really cult following. Yeah. I think he's going to attract the biggest and best designers in the world. And it doesn't matter if he's not an actual trained designer himself because he is bringing culture, he's bringing entertainment. Actually, even if we look at the Super Bowl, Rihanna, she pulled off this incredible show, but right in the middle of it, she pulled out a Fenty beauty product, you know? Like that is entertainment, it's media, it's business, it's all um, into one. And actually it's all LVMH at the end of the day because Louis Vuitton, it's LVMH, Fenty, it's LVMH. Exactly. Mm. I mean, I do think that it's because it's LVMH that they're able to do that. I ha- I would be mm. shocked if Richemont or Chanel would ever do something like that. I would be very surprised. Yeah. LVMH is an interesting one. We're having a course on campus in April, and it's on the intersection between hip-hop and luxury. The executive director of the Hip Hop Museum in New York, Rocky's coming out from New York to teach that. One of the case studies they're going to be looking at uh, is Jay-Z selling his champagne brand to LVMH and looking at how that happens. So it's exactly <laughs> entertainment and luxury. How is that happening? You could look at Beyonce with Tiffany's. I mean, yep. It's like you said, at the end of the day, it's all LVMH that's being sort of a, yep. a first adapter mm-hmm. and looking at what's going on in the world right now to see how they can change the, the stuffy image that some of these brands have or did have. And really interesting that you're already going to have a course integrated within the Mm -hmm. programs dedicated to that, because I do think that this is going to become bigger and bigger. And the lines between entertainment, business, product services, it's all going to become more and more blurred as it's no longer just, oh, this person's an ambassador. Well, actually, no, they're they're leading the design team or actually they're leading the entire company. Um, They're not in CEO positions for the most part, but I see a lot of celebrities launching their own brands and maybe they're going to be joining the MBA program at some point. Come one, come all. (laughs) Got that toolkit. God, I'm going to need security outside. (laughs) That also goes to sort of the experience, um, the experience and what people are asking in luxury brands is changing. I mean, a part of why these younger first adopters buying a luxury item is because they saw Beyonce wearing Tiffany's or something like that. So Mm -hmm. it'll be interesting. And then the higher end, the ultra luxury will really be in the experience. And I think that luxury and entertainment has always been there. If you look at the past, people were spending millions to get somebody from the entertainment industry to sing at their wedding or sing at a party. Uh, So that was already the ultra, ultra luxury experience. And now it's just coming down to earth for everybody to have access to that now. So interesting. I I do think it's going to continue. And it's something that we'll be talking about in April uh, in the MBA crash courses. Need a new name, but it's the crash courses. <laughs> um, if we take it back to something very practical, but the actual students that you have today on campus, particularly within the MBA and executive MBA programs, do you see a couple of specific profiles kind of emerging nationality wise? What is the talent that you usually have coming on campus and what is the goal of the majority of these students? It's an interesting thing because... What we're seeing is is a is a definite shift in ages. So for the executive MBA, which is a part-time MBA, um, we're seeing people get younger because they're getting in these higher positions younger and they don't want to leave their job, but they still want to get their MBA. Uh, so whereas before you'd have an average age of anywhere between 40 to 45, now we're getting applications of 31 and 32-year-olds to do an executive MBA, but they've got really impressive jobs right now, and they just don't want to leave them. Uh, In terms of the MBA, because the job market has been so hot, 
you've seen a decrease on the number of certain nationalities. Americans are doing less of an MBA because they didn't want to leave their jobs. Uh, they Even if they got accepted to an MBA program, employers were offering them huge bonuses to stay and keep working. So they put their MBA dreams on hold. What we are left with afterwards is a population of people, and we do sort of make sure that we don't have one population dominant on another, but there are certain countries of people that just want to get out of their country and they want to have a job in Europe. Uh, you know, I had a European dream. I did it. Uh, I'm not going to fault them for that, but they do. Um, and that's a challenge because if people do want to work in France, today you need to speak French. And it's not just conversational French because your colleagues will be French. Emails will be in French, even if it's an international company. Uh, you still need to speak fluent French. And personally, and I share a story with the students, is that I was in the middle of nowhere. Nobody spoke English, and it took me two years. So, And I wasn't taking intensive classes like an MBA. So learning French just in a year when you're doing an MBA is going to be a challenge. So you need to have a plan B of uh, England, Ireland. <laughs> Listen, that beautiful country of Ireland. I don't know if you heard about it. <laughs> Dublin, I mean, on fire. Uh, Luxembourg and Amsterdam, you do need to start looking at those as well. Yeah, that's a really good point on the language barriers. It's the one thing that I say is absolutely key within luxury. Every single job that I've had for the last 10 years, so that's including internships because I'm I'm 29 now, going to be 30 oh my God, you're a baby. And you're a baby. <laughs> I, I'm like, I don't identify with being 30, so I'll just st stick at 29 for a while. Um, but every single job, internship, you name it, they've all involved speaking French. No, that's exactly right. You you just can't people. The argument I hear every day, every day is that it's an international company. It doesn't matter. And when it comes to luxury, obviously, the majority of headquarters or at least the parent company and whatnot, uh, the individual brands, for the most part, they're very, very French. So it is going to give international candidates um, the cutting edge, if they can come in and speak fluent French because they're probably a native speaker of another language, whether it's English or something else, which will then be a bonus for the company. So I would say for people that are thinking of working in luxury in France in particular, um, look at it as an opportunity to be a candidate that comes, you know, bilingual or even trilingual or more. Uh, and don't, yeah, don't uh, drop the goal of of learning French because it's possible. If, if Patty and I can do it, then anyone can. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I am not gifted for languages, but I learned it. <laughs> it's all possible. Just be a sponge and absorb it. Get out there and try. It's it's all the, the the small steps actually that make the big difference. So, Patty, if I take it back to your own uh, career and all that you've done, and you know, even making that move from the U.S. to France, uh, would you say that there's any advice that you wish that you had received at the early stages of your own career? Oh my goodness, um, I, I balance between saying it's been wonderful to discover everything, and I'm I'm happy to discover things as I go and learn. Um, as I get older, I'm 50 now, you get more comfortable in your skin and and you're able to sit back in meetings. The only advice that I give to the younger people on the team is to listen more than you speak, uh, and especially in a meeting, because uh, we all have a lot to learn every day. Uh, and so if you listen more than you speak, uh, and instead of making decisions, make sure it's collective. I always tell them, I don't like to be wrong. Uh, so if we make a decision together, I'm never wrong on something. <laughs> and that seems to work out this collective a lot better. So those would be the only piece of advice. But the road has been absolutely a ton of fun. Uh, and I've had a great time and it's not over yet. Um, mm. So those would be the only two pieces of advice that I would give to my younger self. Very good. 
Um, you already touched on it, but when it comes to Web3 and even, you know, metaverse experiences and whatnot, I do think they're going to be a key component of the future of luxury. But do you think that they'll also have an impact on education? Oh, 100%. Uh, if you think about it, and we've kind of been running experiments, and I work a lot with, with uh, a really wonderful man from TikTok, um, and he explains to me uh, that uh, our attention spans are getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. Except for when you're in virtual reality, because when you have the glasses on, guess what? You can't do emails. You can't do text messages. You can't do anything. So in terms of the capacity to learn things, visual learners, uh, Virtual and Web3 is a game changer. It kind of goes back, and you're too young for this, but back in the day on Fridays, we used to have someone roll in this VCR and a TV in the room. It was the greatest day of our lives, but we would have a visual video. And I still remember things that I learned on the video. So I think most people are innately visual learners. So this VR is really going to be a game changer. It depends how schools and professors choose to use it. It's really interesting. And actually, that makes so much sense. If you are in a space where you cannot be distracted by anything else, even if you're at home because you're accessing class through a metaverse room, or maybe you're doing VR, AR, etc., all the distraction is removed and it's not possible anymore to be double screening, triple screening, all these terrible things that we're all um, sometimes victims of. <laughs> so, Patty, I'm really excited to know the answer to this next question, because obviously I've been following your journey now for many years, but also HUC. So maybe could you tell us ne what's next for you and for, for Asha say what's next for for me and HEC but lots of wonderful adventures uh <laughs> we have great leadership here at, at HEC that's not afraid to take some risks and take a gamble on things and the most important thing is actually to listen to what's going on in the market mm -hmm. and listen to what our participants want and what they're going people still have to learn financial accounting you can't get out of it but we can add other subjects to be more in tune to be relevant with what's going on in the world, because if you're relevant, you get results. Mm -hmm. And so in terms of staying relevant, we will be doing a complete audit uh, of the courses offered on the MBA. Uh, we're getting a new dean in here. Uh, I do not have the name of this person, but we'll be getting a new dean <laughs> no for the MBA. No here today. <laughs> uh, no, I wish. In the first order of business is to really do an audit of the MBA and see what HEC MBA is going to be known for. Are we going to go in the direction of being more tailor-made, meaning you have several mini MBAs like NYU Stern has done mm -hmm. with their N with their MBA in luxury, with their MBA in tech? Their MBA in tech has 95% placement at less than three months before graduation and 50% wow. women. They're obviously doing something right. Yeah. Uh, is there something that we need to be doing like that in Europe? Or do we continue to be a general MBA with 300 students every year? So these are fundamental structural questions we'll be asking ourselves within the next uh, 8 to 12 months. The other thing in, in, in my passion is in double degrees and partnerships. We will be starting in September of 2024, the double degree with Yale, meaning you do your MBA at HEC. Uh, you do three terms with us. Then you do one year at Yale. You get your master's in advanced management and a three-year work visa in the United States afterwards. So two degrees, one work visa, nice package. Uh, so these the are <laughs> I am back. So these are the things that uh, we're, we're working and, and cooking up right now. Uh, so watch this space. There's going to be lots of things to come. And it's also thanks to the influence of people in the industry like you and everybody else that have contributed to the program 
uh, over the years. That's incredible. So now you're going to be bringing people from Europe over to the US as well. It's not just, you know, bringing people from the rest of the world into Europe. Ah, that's going to be such an insane program. Um, no, it's going to be awesome. I'm a big fan of Yale. I'm following one of their courses online right now. I went to the campus. They're just a fantastic team. Uh, lots of educational and career opportunities out there. So looking forward to this and then the next program that follows. Sure. And maybe on that note, Patty, could you tell us a little bit more about what HEC is doing outside of Paris or Versailles? <laughs> um, because I know you've got other campuses internationally and you've been on a bit of a world tour recently as well. We do. So our executive MBA uh, has two cohorts based outside of uh, Paris, Julien Josas. Um, one on our uh, Qatar campus in Doha, uh, and then one in Riyadh. Um, so I was recently on our campus in Doha. The wonderful thing about our executive MBA is, is it's five different populations because it's module they mix. Um, so we'll have people from Doha come and take financial accounting with us. And we'll have people from Joy go down there and take the same course down there. So mm-hmm. it's going to be exciting to have multi- multiple uh, campuses and hopefully we'll be expanding And then the different cohorts, when they go on specialization and they travel together, the cohorts are entirely mixed and they travel all around the world. Carbon footprint is one thing. Uh, I agree that you have to be careful about an offset on that. But meeting people and seeing things with your own eyes is a game changer. Uh, And we'll be taking people in for a specialization in sustainability into the Amazon to see the damage that's being done there and what people are doing to repair it. One person that goes into the Amazon, you're going to talk to 100 people behind you about making sure that you're recycling, uh, that you're not using your car as much as you should, that you're thinking about taking the train. So it is worth it when the travel is for a purpose. So lots of things going on in the Middle East, lots of things going on in France. And I'm excited about increasing those activities in the Middle East. Yes. And with your partnerships now with the U.S. as well, it's truly becoming a a global institution with ties all over the world. And I know that that's going to be not just enriching for France and for the people that will be coming over to France, but also for the industries there. And one of the things I wanted to ask you about is why do you think the luxury industry needs to embrace and tech, actually, but the industries in France in particular, embrace the international talent coming through HEC? Because it's no longer just French students. It's people from all over the world. I get it. It's a great question because I do talk to uh, my Indian participants a lot. The savoir-faire and everything that you have in India between gold and embroidery, uh, perfumes, absolutely incredible. And I still have not figured out why India does not rule the world of luxury. Um, these there, There's certain embroideries that are only possible uh, to be done in India, fabrics yeah. that are made there. Yeah, well, um, Sabia Sachi is one of the, the designers that I think of first. And actually, we had an in-depth discussion with him with uh, Shloka Narang Samsara, who was on a couple of episodes ago. And we spoke about the Indian Fashion Weeks. And I really do think India is going to have its moment very, very soon as they they rise. Um, they have a stronger middle class than ever before. And, you know, their designers are starting to reach fashion weeks around the world as well. So it'll be interesting to see. And then I think the Indian students are going to be the only ones that can tell that story at the beginning. 100%. There's that. And then there's also what's going on in Africa. I mean, my goodness, everything in fashion and music and culture that's coming out of Africa right now is phenomenal. So the only way to get in touch with this is to hire the students that are from there that have been studying luxury and they have that heritage from where they came up from that they've been seeing this for years so that that's going to be interesting uh to see what happens uh, both in africa and india uh and what's going to happen with their students that are graduating in luxury in the 
are going to be able to share their knowledge with their future employers from those areas. I couldn't agree more. I feel like we have seen it in the past decades, first for the Japanese and now for the Chinese, like we are seeing a lot more representation of people from Asia within luxury because now we see it, it, we actually we don't speak these languages we don't understand all of the different elements of the culture if we want to be successful within luxury in China or in Japan and we need to understand their digital ecosystem the only way is to actually hire people from these countries and listen to them and learn from them and then you make that bridge between okay what is the DNA of the brand and what resonates with these local communities no 100% the digital luxury experience in China my goodness uh, it has nothing to do with what happens when you go on the Champs-Élysées and buy an LV bag. I mean, it's just, my goodness, two different worlds. Yeah. It's really better to is. understand that, but the locals, my goodness. Yeah. Um, Patty, to wrap up our session today, this has been super informative and I could talk to you all day, but um, we said we do just one episode, not the full season, <laughs> focused on, on everything you're doing. Um, so I, I'm going to wrap it up with one last question. What is the one skill that you would recommend industry insiders to start working on today? Oh my goodness, this is a tough one. The one skill industry insiders, I would say uh, agility. Everybody's going to have to be agile mm -hmm. on everything because change is everywhere. Change is happening now. You can prepare for change. You can prepare for everything. And the thing that's going to happen is a thing you didn't prepare for. Uh, so you really have to be agile and accept. So it's what do they call it? Living in a VUCA world. Uh, mm -hmm. So accept that stay positive and always have a smile. Sounds like you embody all of those things anyways, Patty. Always with a smile, always positive and always agile. Of course. <laughs> Thank you. Brilliant. Thank you so much. This has been fantastic. Uh, for anyone who wants to learn more about the MBA programs, executive MBA programs or just HEC in general, obviously um, look them up, HEC Paris, and you can read more about all the amazing things that they're doing and um, partnerships that they have with other schools around the world. And of course, the ties with the luxury and tech industries. Patty, thank you so much for your time. This has been wonderful. Thank you, Ashley, and see you very soon back on campus. Thank you for listening to Tech Powered Luxury, your weekly podcast on all things luxury and tech. If you have enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe and follow Tech Powered Luxury on Instagram, TikTok, Snap, Twitter, LinkedIn, or sign up to our weekly newsletter. Tech Powered Luxury is proud to partner with GladCloud, the platform that is powering our media campaigns through its collaborative social media marketing platform, which is perhaps how you have discovered the podcast today. We'd love to hear from you if you have any ideas, questions, or would like to join us as a guest. Thank you.